everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. That right there is one of the coolest things we get to be a part of as a church community. And if you're on the sides praying, keep praying. Don't feel like you need to be rushed. Uh, We get to come alongside others while they walk with their family through decisions of faith, a life seeking after God, and trying to figure out what it looks like to pursue God together. It's incredible. Uh, And it's a lot of fun for me because today is actually our Move Up Sunday here at the church. This is the day that we choose to have all of our kids move up a grade. Uh, That means on the same day that we are celebrating raising their celebrating parents raising their young children in faith like we saw up here, which is so exciting and so nerve-wracking as you try to get it right. We also have parents who are experiencing having their first elementary school, middle school, high school, or college-age student in their home as well. Um, Can we just take a second and applaud those parents as well who are experiencing this new thing for the first time and probably panicking? And if you're freaking out right now, that is the appropriate response. Every life stage feels like it brings its own set of unique challenges. Uh, I officially have my first middle school student now. Uh, And let me tell you, um, that is terrifying. Uh, When I was a youth pastor, I found it a lot easier to give advice to other people on how to raise their kids in faith uh, than how to do it with my own child. Uh, So I applaud all of you parents who have done it or have it on the horizon And can I just say, thank God that we have a church family that walks this together uh, as we figure out faith together. And if you're here today and you are not a parent, uh, or you are an empty nester, you have kids out of the house, uh, this is for you as well, because we're a community. We're in this together, uh, and we all benefit from learning from one another and from pursuing faith together. Uh, All of the kids in our our children's ministry and our student ministry, along with those who call Discovery Home, they benefit so dearly from loving, caring, and mentoring voices in this congregation. Because many of us know what it's like to try to navigate faith and what it looks like to pursue God. And I hope we're doing this together. And I hope no matter what life stage you're in, you take Kelsey's charge to pray for these families, to come alongside these families and to help this this next generation know the love of a God who loves you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm excited for you to join us as we dive a little bit deeper into the book of Acts on this Sunday morning. The book of Acts is all about the movement of God's people, the community they built, the way they talk to and about God, and the Holy Spirit that moves through them and around them and does remarkable things. All in all, it's an incredible book to read. We're in week four of our series, Acts, A People After God. And if this is your first time here, or if you're new here, uh, it's really easy to catch up to current. Now, because we're in week four, and we're not all that original, we're going into chapter four. Which means if you want to catch up this week, just look up Acts one through three. You can catch up in about 15 minutes, no problem. As I read through the book of Acts, especially in conjunction with this Sunday, I find myself thinking about kids and growing up and movement through life. It makes me a little nostalgic. It has me using phrases like the good old days or do you remember when 
And those phrases are highly subjective terms because for some in this room, uh, the good old days refers to a different period of music, television, or movies, maybe when things felt more real and less computer-generated. Uh, it may refer to the way our society used to connect with one another, where when we built homes, the, the front yard was bigger than the backyard because uh, you're expected to know your neighbors and connect. Uh, or the way that our cities used to feel more alive as people were just out and about and not so isolated. Uh, and I think all of us know that when we reminisce or think about the good old days or the do you remember wins, uh, that experience can vary from person to person because it's subjective. Uh, in our memories or in the stories we hear, it can be really easy to put a positive spin on things that weren't really all they were cracked up to be. I mean, for example, does anybody remember maps? Uh, because I barely remember maps. Uh, my dad had this giant map that like, covered the entire front seat of his truck and had every single road in Colorado and every trail, and he would like, figure out where we were while I was completely lost. I remember having to print out directions on MapQuest uh, to take someone over state lines. We get to where we're going, and it took us to the wrong house because apparently streets were similar, and I was completely lost because how did you find directions when you got somewhere you didn't know before cell phones? It's a terrifying thought. Now I have one of these. And these may come with their own set of issues, but you never have to give me directions again, and it's glorious, let me tell you. Then again, some pieces of nostalgia were literally just better. Like the price of gasoline, 3.30-ish per gallon right now. I remember when I was 16, there was this super sketchy gas station down on Washington. You didn't go at night, you paid through your driver's side window, and you felt a little unsafe the entire time, but gas was 89 cents a gallon, so you didn't care. It was potentially worth being shot. Forget subjective nostalgia, 89 cents per gallon was just better. And I have a picture here. This is not Photoshopped. That was real. And there are probably people in the room older than me who say, man, 89 cents was expensive. We had it even cheaper. That was just better. I share all of this because we often look back on our lives or the stories of those who came before us and think about the good old days. And when you're reading the Bible, it can be really easy to get that same feeling, especially when you're reading through the first five to six books of the New Testament. These are the books where God sends his son Jesus to live, love, die, raise from the dead, and empower his people to build his church. In the book of Acts, we're seeing God's people on the move doing some amazing things. And as they do, God is doing amazing and miraculous things around them. Today, as we jump into the, fo the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, I don't think we're remiss in asking, were things better back then? Or did they know something special about God that we just don't? Or, and probably the most important, did God just do things differently, or did he move differently back then than he does today? Because if you've been following, throughout the first three chapters of Acts, we've seen God work in some powerful ways. Uh, throughout this, there have been four themes that have popped up over and over again, and they'll continue to pop up through the rest of the book. Um, the movement of God's people, uh, the community of God's people, God's people in constant, constant, constant prayer, and the work of the Holy Spirit. In each chapter up to this point, you'll see each of these playing out 
And past this, you'll continue to see this in every chapter for the book of Acts. And as we jump into Acts chapter 4 today, it's no different. Uh, I'm going to give a really quick summary of Acts 4 today, and then we're going to focus on one section. Uh, Because I'm giving such a quick summary, uh, if you want to catch up this week and dive deeper, I highly encourage you to. It's a fascinating passage. First, we have Acts 4, 1 through 22, uh, a little more than half the chapter. Uh, Last week, Zach talked to us about Peter and John healing a man and bringing him into the temple. Uh, Well, Peter and John have been healing. Uh, They have been calling on the name of Jesus. They have been performing miraculous signs, and it ends them up in jail. They've healed, they've preached, and now they're thrown in jail for it. Uh, Through their time in jail, rather than wallow in what could have been, um, they start telling every person they can meet about this guy named Jesus. Uh, They start talking about the God that loved them and saved them, and the early church continued to grow. In fact, in Acts 4.4, it says the number of people who had believed had grown to around 5,000. After this, Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, a Jewish judicial and administrative council made up of many of the Jewish elites of the day. Uh, And we're going to be seeing a lot more of them in the coming chapters, and it's not good. Uh, It's important to note that there were many people on this council who had actually been a part of the group that had turned Jesus over to Rome. Uh, So Jesus was not very popular with this group, and these people, John and Peter, just won't stop talking about him. The Holy Spirit moving in Peter and John led them to proclaim the power of Jesus, what he had done through them in healing a man and the power of Jesus' name. John and Peter were essentially painting a target on their backs by doubling down on the narrative of Jesus. And we're going to see the effects of that coming up in Acts 6, 7, and 8. At this time, however, they were told to stop talking about Jesus and threatened that there would be consequences if they did, which they ignored and went on their way. I've said a lot of things here about Jesus and the power of Jesus. Uh, And if you have been around church for a while, um, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, If you are joining us for the first time in person or online, uh, or you are just dipping your feet back into church, uh, if you're trying to figure out what this is all about, um, let me tell you the story that John and Peter would have been telling others. God created us to be with him. Uh, And God loved us so much that he sent his son uh, to move into the neighborhood, uh, to live a perfect life, to spend time with his people, um, and to die on the cross. Um, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. And he said, hey, you know, sin, um, idols, uh, the things that you do in the dark, the things that you do that you know you shouldn't, I am here to heal that. I am here to forgive that and pave a way to my father. And Peter and John were such direct recipients of that love and that experience that they couldn't help but tell every person they met. And people were so excited by it that they just came to hear more and more. So if you're here today um, and you've heard that before, um, or you've never heard it, or you've got questions or you've got doubts, if you're figuring things out, Would love to chat with you after service, which is like the most terrifying thing a pastor can ever say, I'm 99% sure. Um, But I'd love to chat with you because many people I know will tell you that the best decision they ever made was following Jesus um, 
And to speak for John and Peter, that's exactly what they would say, and it's exactly what they kept saying, regardless of what people said to them. After this, uh, Acts 4, 23 through 31, show Peter and John going back to their own people and giving a recap of what had happened. The believers got together and they prayed. And I'm going to throw the entire prayer up on the screen if you want to follow along. Or if you have a Bible, it's Acts 4, 24 through 31. This is a group of believers, people who follow Jesus and what they prayed. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they did this, the room they were meeting in began to shake. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak boldly. Hear that again. When they did this, the room they were meeting in began to shake. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak boldly. Remember this one because we're going to come back to it. Prayer so powerful that the room they were in shook. 21st century America, I can barely imagine what that even looks like. Finally, the chapter ends with Acts 4, 32 through 36. The believers who were of one heart and mind came together, sold what they had, and gave to one another into a purpose. They gave to those in need and continued to speak the word of God boldly. The good old days, the way things were. God's people in the midst of oppression began telling everyone they could about the hope they felt. Didn't matter if they were on the streets or in jail, and people turned their eyes toward God in the thousands. Those people were indwelt by the Holy Spirit who spoke through them and amazing things happened. They prayed fervently and rooms were shaken as the Spirit of God moved among them physically. They were so overwhelmed by the goodness of God and the shared mission he had given them that possessions and wealth were of secondary importance and they gave to one another. This passage marks a church on fire where God is on the move and amazing things are happening. And if you're like me, it begs a few important questions here in 2023. Namely, why were faith, prayer, and the work of God seemingly so easy to these people when that isn't always our experience today? I'll ask that again. Why were faith, prayer, and the work of God seemingly so easy to these people when that isn't always our experience today? There's an easy answer to start with. Um, it's that many of these people actually met Jesus, um, which we haven't. When I look at especially that passage on prayer, it's hauntingly beautiful. Because when I read about the people in Acts who pray to God, I see God move in powerful ways constantly. And I don't know if that's something that most of us usually experience today. So what's the difference? Is this just a situation of $3 per gallon gas versus $0.89 cent per gallon gas, and that's just the way it is, and it'll never go back? 
which is such a sad thought because 89 cent per gallon gas would be amazing. Have things changed? Or is there something else? Okay, this is where this gets exciting and honestly incredibly uncomfortable for me. Uh, Because in general, my approach to faith is from a pretty analytical standpoint and a pretty intellectual standpoint. I try to read the right books and do the right research. I try to talk to the right people. Uh, And as we start to dive into conversations about things like prayer and the supernatural effects it begins to have in scripture, we start to get outside of my area of expertise and comfort. And if that's anyone else in the room, we can at least be uncomfortable together. Uh, If this isn't an area of discomfort for you, uh, if you're someone who is so excited to dive into how God works through prayer, uh, I'm excited for you. We're going to see what God's word says about this. Let's talk about prayer and if it's even possible to have situations like this church in Acts did. Prayer is the act of talking to and worshiping God. This can be as simple as closing your eyes and talking to God like you're talking to a friend. It can be times to ask for things, times to seek wisdom, times to seek forgiveness. Uh, For some of you, this prayer can look more formulaic, for some more casual. And depending on where you are, that prayer might look different, but in essence, they all boil down to talking to and worshiping God. Uh, And the Bible has a lot to say about prayer and the worship of God. Uh, It says things like this, Mark 5, 44 through 45. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and his and son's reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. Pray. Talk to God. And when you do, pray for those who persecute you. And I love this word, persecute. Because he doesn't say pray for those you don't like. Pray for those who don't like you. Because that in and of itself is a tall enough order. Uh, No, he says, pray for those who actively go against you. Uh, Pray for those who are actively out to harm you. Uh, Pray for those who, when you think of them, you get a pit in your stomach because you just don't get along. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Ask, and you'll receive. Seek, and you'll find. I think there are many people who hear that passage who have spent their life praying and found that to not always be true. God promises gifts to his people. Uh, Is that metaphorical? Is that allegorical? Is that literal? Well, going on to the next passage, Mark 11, 23 through 25, it keeps going deeper. Truly I tell you, If anyone says to this mountain, go and throw yourself in the sea and does not doubt in their heart and believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, 
Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins. Mark 11, 23 through 25. Jesus called on his people to pray for those who love them and to pray for those who hate them. Jesus called on his people to ask for what they need. And he says he gives good gifts to his people. Uh, And Jesus paints this picture of faith, that faith can have an impact on the world. He says, pray and you can move mountains. And maybe he's speaking figuratively. Or maybe he's actually saying, watch the world change by the way that you talk to God. Watch the world change by the way you pray. And when I look at the book of Acts, Jesus' people 100% believed that. They believed deeply in what Jesus said about the power of talking to their father and watching him move mountains, and they watched it at work. They watched rooms shake. They watched prison cells open. They watched miracles happen through the power of prayer. And through the rest of the book of Acts, if you keep your eyes open, you're going to notice God's people continuing to pray expectantly and for God to show up and do some amazing things. But along with these uplifting verses about prayer that Jesus says, he also has a few on the other end as well. In Luke 6.46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Or in Matthew 15, when Jesus quotes a passage from Isaiah 29, it says, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. They say great things. They worship the way they were taught. Their hearts are far from me. Jesus makes this distinction, and we see it all throughout the Gospels. When he comes amongst people who should know him well, but they don't, when he comes alongside people who should be pursuing his father, but they aren't, that quote in Matthew 15 about people coming and honoring God with their lips while their hearts are far from him, that their worship is based on human rules they've been taught, I pray that's not us. And so we're left in this place, looking at prayer and asking ourselves, what would it look like to pray like the early followers of Jesus did? And what would that affect? Would things look different? Would I look different if I were to consistently approach God boldly in prayer? Uh, there's a pastor out in uh, Virginia, I think, uh, Stephen Furtick, uh, has a book called Sun Stand Still. And he asks a bold question. He looks at the story of Joshua in the Bible, a story where Joshua prays for the sun to literally stop in the sky uh, so that he can finish the battle he's in um, and the sun stands still. Furtick asks, how often do you and I pray like that? How often do we pray for huge things and without caveat? What does prayer look like when you and I talk to God and we have faith and we ask him for things, and we aren't approaching apologetically. We aren't approaching with the expectation that might not work. No, we approach God with the expectation that the God who can move mountains promises that to us as well. What does it look like to pray outrageous, audacious, and powerful prayers? Well, depending on your view of Scripture and what we're reading in Acts, it looks like rooms shaking, 
Revival happening in a world changed because of powerful prayer. I believe, looking at Acts 4, that God calls us to pray boldly and expectantly, to pray what we know to be truth, and to pray without caveat. In other words, pray expecting God to do something. This is the type of prayer we see over and over again in Acts, and the effect is tangible. And I think it's important, if you're in this room today, and you would call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, is that the way I approach God? Do I approach God boldly and expectantly and with faith? Or do I approach with a caveat, with an apology, with an out? Because for many of us who have prayed for big things and they didn't happen, it's easier to handle the disappointment if you approach giving yourself an out than if you approach boldly. And I'd be remiss if I didn't address what I think is a giant elephant in the room when we talk about prayer like this, and that's the silence of God, even when we're on our knees deep in prayer. If, you're a, if you've been a follower of God for a while, then there's a good chance you've experienced times of deep prayer before, uh, times where you've met with God in situations where you needed him to move. Prayer for jobs, prayer for finances, prayer for family and friends, prayers for healing. Oh, prayers for healing. Times when you needed God to move and it feels like he didn't. It feels like your prayers went unanswered. And what do you do with that? The book of Acts is fascinating because like I said, you're gonna see followers of God approaching God boldly and God showing up in mighty mighty, powerful ways. Um, but you'll also see devoted followers of God approaching him boldly while waiting as God seems to either sit in silence or outright say no. We could do a whole series on unanswered prayers in the Bible, and, and maybe we should. And multiple sermon weeks could be taken up by a man named Paul who's going to grace us with his presence in the coming weeks of the book of Acts. Uh, a man who prayed consistently for God to take things away from him with a seeming silence. A man who chased after directions from God only to be rebuffed and sent new directions. A man who had the experience of unanswered prayer. So when I asked the question, was it just different back then? I think we see an interesting smattering of faith and prayer in the Bible. We see people calling on the name of God and it looks as if there's no response. We see people attempting to perform miracles in his name without effect. Yet we also see these instances where these followers seem to have chased God unapologetically, proclaiming his name boldly and praying expectantly. And when God went silent, they kept at it. And the effects are incredible. I want to invite the band back up. Um, and as we do, I think it's important to note that at best, we've scratched the surface on approaching God boldly in prayer. Uh, if you just look back on the last four chapters of the book, you're going to see instances just like in this chapter where God moved in big and powerful ways in response to the prayers of his people. Jesus was constantly talking to his people about prayer, and the disciples took it so seriously that it was a consistent part of everything they did. In fact, one of the main reasons I think it's important for us to talk about this is it's actually not possible to get through the rest of the book of Acts without engaging on this topic on every single page. Uh, you're going to see splashes throughout the entire book, and you can ignore it, 
You can dismiss it. You can call it a piece of the time. You can call it something that doesn't apply today. Or you can ask yourself, is it really that different today? In our post-industrial, post-modern, post-Christian, post-everything society, I often think that sometimes when we see anything supernatural in the Bible, uh, we tend to give it the nod we think it deserves, and then we just move on. And all I can think back to is that passage in Isaiah 29 where it says, these people come to me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they've been taught. And I know we don't want that. Over the next few months, as we continue to dive into the book of Acts, I want you to take a look at the people of God who pray boldly, who see God move in powerful ways, and at time experience the silence of God and ask yourself, was it really so different back then? And if I'm a follower of Christ, do I believe that God could move mountains if I prayed boldly? Let's pray. Hey, God, it's Jake. Hey, God, I think that when I read this book and when I read about followers who just chased you boldly and unapologetically, uh, I am immediately envious. Uh, Because I think praying boldly and praying expectantly um, is so much harder than I make it sound. God, I pray uh, to have a church that that worships you with our mouth, but also with our hearts. And God, that you would look at us and say, that worship is, it's it's pleasing to me. That's what I'm looking for. God, I pray that as we continue to dig into the book of Acts, where your people prayed boldly, uh, that we'd be able to take away from that what it looks like for us to pray boldly. God, thank you. Amen. Uh, If you're able, would you please stand and join us in worship?